You have nurtured and grown with your family business, with your very being. What now? Should you simply sell or do you want to grow? There are options. Is there a value-added partner who can help you take your baby to the next level? Kevin's guest, Gina Luna of Genesis Partners, has some insights. I would like to welcome today to the podcast, Gina Luna, who is a managing partner at Genesis Park in Houston, Texas. Gina, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I know that we uh, were recently introduced to each other. We have not known each other a long time, like many of our guests, but in one quick phone call, I think we quickly became friends, just uh, two two Texans looking at a lot of different situations and and a lot of things in common. Although you're in Houston, I'm in Austin. As we know, those are about 150 miles apart, but sometimes worlds away from each other. (laughs) And we spend a lot of time in Houston, have families we serve there and, and professionals we work with and other private equity groups. And so I'm excited to engage with you and your group and to learn more on this podcast so that you can share with our listeners more about your firm, what makes you unique. And uh, seeing as this is the third part in a private credit series that we're doing on the podcast, I thought I'd just let you start off about your history, the history of the firm, your work experience, and how you moved through into that. And then tell us about your offerings, what makes you unique on the private uh, credit side as well as the private equity side. Sure. Well, again, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to visit with you. And I'll just start quickly with my own background. I am from Texas, have been in Houston for a little over 25 years now, and spent the vast majority of my career at J.P. Morgan Chase doing a host of different things, always on the wholesale side of the business. Loved every different opportunity I had there. In the last probably seven years I was at J.P. Morgan, I was Uh, leading the commercial banking business for this region and serving as the chairman of the market and um, spent the vast majority of that time working with middle market companies, helping them, you know, with very basic things, but also with very strategic opportunities as they were thinking about growth or exits or transitions. And in my heart, I love middle market companies, founder owned or family-owned businesses where we, in an advisory capacity, have the opportunity to work with the people who built the business. It's just really fun to do that and to help them think about how they get from where they are today to where they want to be in terms of this business. And so I left uh, J.P. Morgan in, I guess, late 2016, and since then have continued to work with middle market companies both as an advisor and also as an investor and and board member in some cases, and then joined some public company boards. So I like that mix of smaller middle market companies and all the challenges and opportunities that they face. But I also think that you learn a lot from the corporate world and interacting uh, inside public companies. So that's been a great uh, mix for me and have been very interesting. We came together to start to talk about a GP Capital Partners, which is the current fund under the Genesis Park platform in early 2021. And the two founding partners of uh, Genesis Park are Paul Hobby and Peter Shaper. And Genesis Park was founded in the late 90s and has 
had a couple of control equity buyout funds also focused on the lower middle market and done some investments outside of their fund as well. And along the way, they have had often thought it would be nice to have a credit vehicle alongside their control equity fund to make investments that didn't really require the whole private equity, as they say, the full Monty mm-hmm. <laughs> of private equity and all that that entails. And so we started talking about that and brought into the conversation our other partner, Curtis Hartman, who had spent his career for many years at Main Street Capital. So he had the background of working within an SBIC. And the more we talked about it, you know, we decided that this wasn't a fund to have alongside a control equity fund, but really given where we were in the market cycle, you know, this was the fund and the opportunity we wanted to pursue. If you don't know about SBIC funds, they are somewhat unique. They are a program under the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and very different from what people think of as, you know, kind of SBA loans that they get from their bank. And the way that it works is the SBA has a um, very thorough licensing process for SBIC funds. And so, you essentially go through this very lengthy um, and rigorous process to demonstrate your capability, your track record, your reputation in the market. Um, because essentially, you know, the federal government through the SBA is becoming one of your LPs, if you will. So the way the fund is structured is you raise a pool of private capital. In our case, we raised $100 million of private capital from LPs. And then you can leverage that up to two to one, up to $175 million with 10-year SBA debentures. So at the time we embarked on this, the SBA debentures were like one and a half percent or something. Um, In a rising rate environment, it's still attractive, but not nearly as attractive as it was uh, at that time. Anyway, so our fund, we went through the licensing process that typically takes a year to 14 months. And uh, we completed our uh, licensing process and received the license September 30th of last year, 2021. So in order to do that, of course, you've raised your fund of, of private capital, you've done a closing, all of that. And then once you get the license, you're in business and ready to start making investments. So um, we had been building a pipeline and we're really ready to start deploying capital in the fourth quarter of 2021 and now have closed some deals and are actively pursuing a pipeline. And it's primarily um, growth capital. I mean, that's the way we think about it. Uh, Our sweet spot is, as we define lower middle market companies, those with um, EBITDA between two and $10 million um, and, you know, roughly revenue between 10 and 50. I mean, it can vary. And our investment size would typically be between five and $20 million in any company. And as you said, um, we're somewhat unique in that we have the ability within this fund to do both debt and equity. So at the portfolio level, we will be 70 to 80% debt, which could be senior secured debt. It could be true mezzanine or some combination there of unitranche structure. 
Um, and then 20 to 30% is minority equity investments that we make alongside that debt. So um, one of the things that we talk about when we're um, pursuing portfolio companies is that we like to have that minority equity investment because it really aligns our interests. We're not um, just trying to collect our interest payment and ultimately our principal and go away, but we're really trying to help the company grow and achieve their objectives. And so um, the, the purpose of capital is often to facilitate an ownership transition from one generation mm. to the next, from one partner to the next, um, or maybe a company's making acquisitions or embarking on a aggressive growth trajectory and they just need that patient capital um, that's more long-term and more flexible than what a bank would typically do. Um, so I don't know if I answered all the questions you asked, um, but you, you may have just run through, we can shut the podcast down. We'll call it a day. <laughs> Gina is so efficient with your time and resources. You nailed them all. Um, the good news is out of that, I have a number of follow-up questions. Oh, good. Um, one is family owned businesses that can be some of the most wonderful people that I've had the pleasure of working with generated their wealth from a family-owned business. Um, but also when it comes to facilitating those transfers uh, between generations with a, within a family or even generations within a company, maybe the people are not related, that can be a very tricky issue. So how do you or how does you and your team at Genesis Park help facilitate that beyond just an investment of debt or equity into the firm? Well, it's funny because I've said uh, both from my investing days and my banking days that I feel like I could write a book about human behavior and some of the best, most functional family relationships I've seen and some of the absolute worst. And, um, you know, you should, functional. you should absolutely do that. <laughs> um, but there are some great models out there, as I'm sure you know, of families that have done an amazing job and are, you know, in a fourth generation. Um, in some cases. And so, um, you know, I find often, I would say most often we're dealing with the first generation transitioning to the second or the first generation not having a second generation that they mm. want or wants to be transferred to. And so often we're helping them um, think about what would be an appropriate structure if they are transferring to a, a next generation. How do you think about, you know, a daughter buying out her parents' business, for example, and doing that in a way that is uh, positioning the business to be successful, setting up the parents to accomplish what, you know, they've certainly earned through their life's work and making it a fair transaction to all that's involved. And I think the perspective we can bring to that really is what is market and what how would this be done if you weren't all family members? And also, you know, they need great legal advice. They need, and so we can help bring those resources to the table. The other thing that we often see is um, a founder who is ready to think about their exit and they don't have a natural successor either in the business or in their family. And so helping them think about what are the options at that point? Do you want to yeah. just sell the business? Do you want to um, you know, retain a piece of the ownership and transition it to someone else that can, um, can take it forward for some period of time? 
So I think one of the things that I love about this fund and again, the focus on the lower middle market is we have so much flexibility to help think about what is the right capital structure and who are the right providers. And in some cases, it's us. And in some cases, it's not. And, you know, even if it's not us, we're happy to use our networks um, that are incredibly broad and, and deep to help think about, well, who could we bring to the table? Who might be positioned to run this company for you in a way that works? And, you know, I think that's one of the things that's different about us. Um, it, we're not always the right solution, and that's okay. We're really happy to help people think about who else might be the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just position, you know, if you do that and help position the company to be successful and the owners to accomplish their objective, uh, you know, the benefits of that come around eventually, um, even if not in winning the deal. Yeah. And I think too, just knowing your team and seeing the history, uh, the folks that you have on the bench there, the ability to bring those potential strategic buyers to the table is something it looks like that your group brings when engaging a new firm or, or a new family to potentially sell their business or transfer it to the next generation. We certainly think that our um, among the four partners, you know, I think we collectively have each 30 years kind of business relationships in Houston and in Texas, and in some cases, yeah, broader than that. And lots of connections that could be mutually beneficial to both parties involved. And, and, you know, we spend a ton of our time doing that. And again, I think that's um, part of the culture of this firm. I think it's also, you know, part of the Texas culture is that mm-hmm. you, you just help people and um, not so much worry about what is the direct benefit to you. It, that will come around in spades. Yeah. And I think too, along with your structure, another kind of Texas type theme is that everyone at the table has skin in the game. And so I think putting forward a partial debt structure along with a partial equity structure says that, you know, yes, we need to make some return along the way, but we are not going to be so focused on turning this within a certain time frame to meet a certain IRR because we have the debt structure to create a payment you know, flow along the way. We want to be a long-term partner. We have the SBIC and we're looking at 10-year, you know, programs. That's really unique in today's day and age is finding an actual partner in a private equity firm, not someone who's just going to come take it from the family, squeeze all the juice out of the beat and, and then leave the shell behind, which seems to be more and more common these days. Well, and I think you've hit on such an important point, certainly in the market right now, where there is so much private equity capital in play, and it's driving valuations, as everyone sees. Um, But there are a lot of founders who don't want to give up control. They believe in the next turn of growth in their company. And so, they love the notion of a partner who brings capital, that growth capital, but also all of the strategic kind of partnership that come, that we try to bring to the table. And it doesn't create this forced exit for them in five years. And um, I mean, I've had someone, more than one person say, as we've talked to them, 
you know, some people might say this is expensive debt. The way I look at it is it's really cheap equity that allows me to continue to run this company and grow this company and benefit from the upside. Um, and I, I think, you know, in many cases, there's not a lot of offerings out there today that uh, uh, create that solution um, for companies. So it's fun for us to be able to have a, a slightly different um, card to play in the game. For sure. I think one of the analogies I heard from a friend who sold his company, he said it was like, you know, you had that old Corvette that you restored yourself over the years, part, part by part, and you finally had a, a beautiful and then you sold it to someone and you saw them get drunk and wrap it around oh. a tree. You know, it's because, because that was the experience of, of just the, the private equity people coming in by. They just took the company and wrapped it around a tree. You and, broke uh, my baby. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, I spent so much time and effort. And at that point, it wasn't even about the money. The conversation wasn't about the money. It wasn't that I, he thinks he could have gotten another 10 million or 50 million for the company. What it, it was that that was the baby. Right. That was that was the life's work, and then it was just demolished. And so, finding a partner like Genesis Park, who's not going to take your your Corvette and wrap it around a tree, is huge. It's very very big. Well, um, it, it makes the decision for us, the investment decision, even more about the people because we are relying on hire, you know, on great management teams that are going to accomplish this growth that they've planned. Um, because as I say, you know, if we step in and take control, that means something went wrong, badly yeah. wrong. Um, and that's not what we want to do. And so we do spend a ton of time focused on um, who are the people involved and um, take a lot of comfort in those that are willing to, you know, continue their own ownership of the company and, and build its value. For sure. Now, as you said, there's, there's a lot of different companies pumping capital into this space, especially the lower middle market space. It used to be, you know, many years ago that no one wanted to touch this space with a 10-foot pole. And as you said, it was pretty much just banks loaning money to these companies. But now there's a high degree of interest in it. Um, one thing and a theme that I see from you in, in Genesis Park is the one stop. Mm -hmm. um, so the one stop to find funding for the business for growth. How did how did that come about in terms of a formation? Was that part of the skin in the game approach or was that something that grew out of necessity with existing relationships? Um, you know, I think it's a, a couple of different things. Um, often for these companies of this size, it's just the practical solution. Um, you know, they need some debt to get um, some some patient capital, as I often call it. and but but if you put all debt on it, um, you've overlevered the company and and we never want to overlever a company. Um, and so often you're looking at the opportunity and you say, gosh, there is certainly some room for leverage here, but there needs to be some equity alongside that. And where does that equity come from? And sometimes it's a, you know a little outside piece of equity. Sometimes it's our equity alongside it. Um, but we also so so that's the perspective from the company. How are we creating the right solution to help this company grow in a prudent way that positions it to be successful? But. Uh, we also think about it, obviously, from the perspective of our investors, who 
love the notion of I get this balance sheet, primarily balance, up the balance sheet type risk um, because of the SBIC leverage model and the ability to take uh, some equity upside on these deals, we can produce a private equity-like return. And so it's the, you know, if, if you think about it from the uh, investor's perspective, often that equity investment is the juice of the return that would otherwise, you know, be kind of a single digit debt return, um, maybe low double digits using the leverage. So it's, um, it, it makes sense from a number of perspectives. And in certain cases, um, you know, we look at a deal and we say, we absolutely want to be a part of this. We're not the entire solution. And again, in those cases, we have our LP group and our relationships who are uh, very eager to invest alongside us if there's a, you know, a bigger piece of equity that needs to be filled. For sure. For sure. Well, I, you know, we were introduced by, uh, we'll call them a friend of the firm, a uh, family office here in Texas. And, um, just you were talking about your investors, and, and in a previous podcast, one of my guests was talking about they really have two different types of investors. They have, you know, forced investors, the you know the more institutional people who have capital they need to put at play, and then they have the patient investors um, who are more you know family centric, you know, uh, private wealth type money. Uh, what does your mix look like between institutional and private investors? Uh, it's really interesting, and. Um... It's about a third, uh, what I'll call large, uh, significant family offices. Um, it is about a third high net worth individuals uh, making investment decisions on their own behalf. And it's about a third uh, commercial banks. Um, commercial banks are very often investors in SBIC funds. It's one of the uh, alternative investment classes that are uh, permitted for commercial banks. And you can imagine that in addition to just the return, there are lots of advantages for commercial banks to be in and around this space. And frankly, we find them to be incredibly valuable partners as well. We refer a lot of business back and forth. We often are looking at deals together where they might be the senior uh, lender and we're looking at a mezzanine piece or we're going to hold all the debt, but the company needs treasury services and real estate loans and a whole host of other banking services. So we love having commercial banks as our LPs because we find them to be such good partners and um, you know relevant to what we're trying to do. Now, are those uh, larger commercial banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, or are they the more of the smaller, uh, like regional or community type banks? I will tell you, uh, within our fund, we have the absolute gambit. So oh, we wow. have we have a couple of um, national banks, super regionals, all the way down to you know what I would think of as a very very small community bank. Um, and and love working with all of them in different ways. For sure. For sure. I think there's wonderful people at all of those organizations having worked at a large international bank myself. Um, and then, you know, having a lot of experience just being around Texas in the community banking space. I think there's there's wonderful people at, at all of those and great people looking to 
help Texas businesses, which seems to be really the focus of, of Genesis Park. Um, do you work with anyone outside of Texas? I know you focus mainly on the south southeastern United States and Texas, but what is your kind of regional geographic area? We do. Um, so the strategy that we de- described in our business plan to the SBA was um, Texas and the southern U.S., which is pretty broad as our focus, um, but we're not prohibited from doing anything outside of that other than it has to be domestic, domestically uh, headquartered businesses. So for the most part, our deal flow comes from our relationships and people who know us or know of us or have done business with us in different ways. So by virtue of that, um, you know, it, it tends to be very localized within Texas and you know, surrounding states. Um, Paul and and one of our other colleagues, David Bilger, went to UVA. So they have, you know, a network that comes from that. Um, Peter, you know, has his own network from his business relationships and his um, days at, at Stanford. And so, again, it just by definition of where we circulate and and spend our time and the people we know that the vast majority of our deals are going to be in Texas and and the South, um, but we often look at things outside of that and you know we ask if it's if it's going to require that one of us get on an airplane once a quarter you know we look at that a little harder because it's all about allocation of time and and priorities but. Um, there certainly are deals that that are worth that, um, and we have the, you know, the luxury of being able to be somewhat um, particular about what we pursue. Yeah. Well, if you were to provide some advice to a family member who is the head of a family-owned business that is looking for growth capital or generational change capital, what would your your you know, top two or three pieces of advice be to them as they're in that search to find the partner? Well, I think the first thing is just really understanding what all the options are. I think a lot of people, for example, business owners don't know that something like our solution exists. So they think mm-hmm. their option is to sell to a strategic, sell to a private equity firm, you know, maximize the amount of debt I can get from a bank or, you know, maybe raise some minority equity. But I think that's often a challenge as well. And so just understanding there are lots of different options. Um, And then secondly, thinking about, you know, who who is going to be the value added partner um, that can help you accomplish your objectives, not just with their capital. Um, there's lots of sources of money out there, but with structure, with good advice, with relationships, and to allow you the latitude to run your company as you have made it so successful, um, but maybe with a little extra help to take you to the next level. So, you know, it's a, for for so many business owners, this is a really important decision. And we completely appreciate that. And and we think our decision to invest is a really important decision that we take very seriously and put a lot of time in 
you know, the tiny little details about what is the what does the model tell us and what are the projections, but also, you know, do we fundamentally match up with these people and their personalities and um, values and all of those things? Yeah, that's, that's so critical when it comes to finding a partner that's going to be that closely tied to you, uh, especially for 10 years, you know, if you're looking at SBIC. Well, it's unique to have you on the podcast because a lot of times our guests want to come on when they're raising a fund. You're not raising a fund right now. Um, you have capital that's deployed. You're doing your business. You're working with your companies. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be more funds down the road. But speaking of not just the fundraise aspect of things, but what's what's next for Genesis Park? You and your partners. Um, you know, what should we what should we anxiously be awaiting? <laughs> guys doing next? Well, we are certainly first and foremost focused on making sure this fund is wildly successful and that we deliver a great result for our investors, but also for the portfolio companies that have chosen us. I mean, that is a big responsibility and we take it very seriously and we take it to heart. You know, I I think beyond that, it's our expectation that we would in a couple of years, you know, do another SBIC fund. That would be a common thing to when the first one is about 70% deployed, you start fundraising for a second one. But, you know, honestly, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that right now. And at the time that it's time to raise a fund, I mean, we will assess just like we did you know, when it was time to raise this fund, does this seem like the right capital vehicle given the opportunities we see in the marketplace and what's available to to deploy? So today where I sit and I look back and say, so far, this seems like a great vehicle given the time and place we are. I hope that we still have that same view in 10 years when we're to the end of this fund. I think we will. But that's, uh, I think, one of the things that is very appealing to the four of us as partners is uh, a lack of bureaucracy around decision-making. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. four people, and and then our team is about six or eight other people. So this isn't a big, giant firm where we have to go through a lot of process and cumbersome decision making we're very collaborative by the time something gets to investment committee you know everybody has spent time with the team they've deeply understood the business and and that's part of what makes it fun is that we're all very close to the companies that we're talking to that's great that's great well i know I have taken up 30 minutes uh, of your time and, and maybe a bit more today. So thank you so much for carving out some time out of your afternoon. Um, you know, our families that that work with us will certainly know who you are and how to find you. But say there's someone listening to this podcast who who doesn't work with us, how would they get in touch with you and learn more about Genesis Park? Sure. Well, I think um, there are lots of different ways. Easy to go to our website and um, you know get more information there. Our contact is, information is there. We are easily accessible by e- email, text, phone call, smoke signal, whatever works. Um, <laughs> we try to, I mean, that is one of the things that we try to be very responsive and accessible. And I always tell, you know, people that are either referring business to us or companies that are that we're having a conversation with 
we will give you a relatively quick read on if we can be helpful or not. That doesn't mean we can say yes or no on day one, but if we're not a fit, we'll tell you right away because we don't want to waste anybody's time. Everybody's busy and people who need capital need to get to the right source as fast as they can. So we welcome those phone calls to talk about opportunities and, and you know, can quickly differentiate whether we might be the right solution. Well, good. Well, Gina, once again, thank you for carving out time, spending it with us, sharing the Genesis Park model and the type of companies with whom you choose to work. Uh, I'm really excited to see the outcome of this fund. Uh, you know, the SBIC stuff is very unique and to seeing that that success going forward. I'm excited for it and hopefully a long partnership with you and your partners as well. Well, thank you again for for the opportunity to visit um, with your audience, but also to just the podcast in general to help people get this kind of information. I always say, you know, part of half the battle is just people knowing um, what the available options are. So you're doing a great service in that. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And we appreciate your support. Yeah, good. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.sinaceracapital.com. Sinacera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of, or liability for, decisions based on such information, and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.